He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We will start this time with James. I'm excited to be here, man. This is uh, a rite of passage for a young Italian boy like myself. Can't wait to talk about my boy Chess. My intro was going to be, I couldn't wait the last two weeks just because i know how full your heart had to be preparing for chaz palmentary for the oh, last yeah. few weeks staple of the childhood i know i watch these movies and i'm like oh i really enjoy that and then i know from james's lens that it's got to be a whole different spiritual experience absolutely ace i've been doing a lot of traveling and work lately and working with colleagues from other institutions at different places and i realized that when people try to sound smart, they speak in cliches. And as you guys know me, once I picked up on that, I was in full cliche mode in everything I did. Like, I don't know what most of them mean. You have to Google them a lot of times. You know, I guess you don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Rigby. Yeah, things are good. Watch my favorite Fourth of July movie this weekend, Jaws. Better than Independence Day. I'll fight you to the death on that one. Excuse me. Yeah. You got a problem with that, Kyle? Are you saying it's a better movie overall or just for Independence Day? Both. Oh, man. Hot take, but you're allowed to have it. What I think Jaws highlights is the importance of voting in your local election because the mayor in Jaws 1 is still the mayor in, like, Jaws 4. Yep. And that man should have been ran out of office for all the blood on his hands. James, it sounds like you're reading too many fake news articles on my boy. Uh, <laughs> oh, <Kenneth>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. If you haven't seen Jaws, go check it out. One of the classics. On my side, I mentioned I'm, I'm excited because I know James is going to be get a giddy Italian all episode. So that excites me. But per my tradition on the 4th of July Independence Day weekend, I did rewatch the Bill Pullman speech from Independence Day. That is my annual tradition. Part of my DNA at this point, I can always count on bill pullman to bring together the united nations the world to combat an alien invasion so that's one thing i can't count on and you know what else i can count on i can count on a few new guests to the munson's at the movies podcast and so we've got mark and david of the cinema flavor podcast they are here joining us from the same location in norcal northern california uh, Mark and David have been podcasting for three years, reviewing current movies and theaters. Their show doesn't follow a straight-to-review kind of show. Instead, they spend the first half of their show ranting or discussing about something happening in their lives or happening in life, so you get a little bit of both when it comes to their show. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. How's it going over there? And tell us a little bit more about Cinema Flavor. Yes, so uh, I actually came up with the idea a couple of years ago. I started re writing reviews on a blog, and I was like, you know, this is getting really... I don't like doing this as often. What if I just talk about movies? So uh, there was three of us. There's only two. We ate the other one. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I literally just stumbled into his door drunk one day. I, I don't. I, that's the day I met him. I was like, what is this? Is this a podcast? I guess I'll sit down and talk to you for a little bit. 
you know, we all do something weird when we're drunk and you guys just decided to create a podcast out of it. That's okay. We got paid for it. So, you know, that's a win, baby. Well, we paid ourselves in alcohol. Yeah. I was going to say, you guys are getting paid shit. We're very happy that you're with us. Stick into some chess palmentary. But first, before we do that, we're going to do some birthday guessing. So Rigby, July 14th, what do you got for us? Yeah, first up, we have Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You probably know her from Fleabag, but she's also the, I believe she was the creator and the executive producer of Killing Eve as well. So how old she turning? Love Fleabag. That show's amazing. She is 34. I was about to say, she feels mid-30s. I'll go a little bit higher. I'll go 36. I'll say 38. Number right now, Kyle. I'm going to say 36. So I'll go 35. Oh, 35. Let's go. I'm going to go low then. I'm just going to go 30. So she's, yep, Kyle, you got it. She's turning 37, but she's 36 right now as we speak. So nice job. Okay. Next up, we got Jane Lynch. Yes. You know her from, uh, probably from Glee, from Role Models. Another hilarious actress, com- comedian, all-around talented individual. Not my modus operandi. You know what I had for breakfast? Was it cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> 62. 57. I was going to get fi- 52, maybe? I, got, I have to say, I must just say 69. <laughs> That's what I like. Nice. Just because it has to be done. I think she was the manager of a of a tech company in forty old version, probably in her late forties. So I'm gonna say sixty. Smart tech. Smart tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we rep smart tech in here. That's right. Me and my born here. Yeah. All right, uh, James, you win. She's turning sixty two on the dot. So nice. Uh, Earn that one. He's turning sixty nine in my heart. <laughs> Your mom. No. Last up, Mr. Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, you know him from The Watchmen, Nightmare on Elm Street, Little Children, and in one of my favorite movies, Breaking Away from 1979. Mm-hmm. Who is he in The Watchmen? Rorschach. I have no idea, man. He's got a experienced-looking face, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> I'll go 50. He looks very aged. He looks very aged. I don't know. Rorschach's seen some shit. Yeah. Would it be tacky to go 69 again? They could be encouraged. No, you do whatever you want. Double jeopardies go. Double down. Double down. 69. Let's go. The last thing you want to do is to have you, someone describe your doppelganger as Jackie Earl Haley. So with that said, I'm going to say that man is 58. Give me 55. So yeah, you guys are overshooting on him. He's, uh, he's turning 61. 61. So I think Kyle wins that one again. That's right, baby. All right, cinema flavor. No, no uh, guest W's there. You guys got to step up your game as we dig through this. That's all right. I sorry. I spoke from my heart better than what Mark did. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So five actors that we threw onto the wheel for episode 66 were Noel Guglielmi, Sean Bean, David Koechner, Juliette Benoche. Um, But it doesn't matter because the wheel selected Chaz Palminteri. And Chaz has 78 credits on his resume, a good mix of film and television over the years. He's done a little bit of writing and directing, some playwright stuff. So he's a pretty versatile performer in a lot of the the stuff he's done in the entertainment world. Uh, But before we get into the nitty-gritty details, we will start with some trivia, as we always do with James, to see if he can stump us Fast and Furious style. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read off three facts, two of which are going to be true about our boy Chaz. One of them is not going to be true about Chaz, but will be true about one of the many cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. 
You guys got to guess which one is not true about Chaz. You don't have to guess who it's true about in the Fast and Furious franchise, uh, but the guys usually take a shot. Um, you get bonus points for a score that doesn't matter if you get it correct. Fact number one was the primary witness of a murder when he was 15 years old. Fact number two was a bouncer at the Tunnel Nightclub in NYC before hitting it big in acting. Fact number three, voiced a main character in the hit video game Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Mm, I'm going to go straight ahead on this one. I think it's the uh, bouncer lie, and I think that was about our man Vin Diesel, who also used to break dance and had break dancing videos during that era of his life. <laughs> Damn, Craig, you stole that one from me. I was going to say Vin Diesel. I'm going to say that's the lie, and I'm going to go, I'm going to say that's Tyrese. He was the bouncer. Yeah, I was going to say the bouncer, honestly, one sounds most likely because I, I definitely, I'm sure this man has seen a body drop by the age of 15. <laughs> like, I feel like that's very much true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to go ahead and go with the bouncer one as well. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, I was listening to a podcast with him uh, not that long ago, so I kind of kind of know about one of these things. But you cheated. So I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go with B. I will, uh, I'll be the only person to go against the grain. Everybody went with the, I, I'm pretty confident this guy, he was a bouncer at one point and his, his general demeanor would fit that well. I think number one is the lie because I know we're going to talk about a Bronx tale and I know that's about his life and he saw somebody murdered. So I know that's true, but I think he was like 10 when it happened. So who of the Fast and Furious franchise saw someone die at 15? Let's go with Paul White who was in Fast and Furious Spy Racers, a.k.a. The Big Show, saw somebody die at 15 years old. Damn, The Big Show? I didn't realize he was in Fast and Furious. That's an extra person I could be using facts about. What, are we, what episode are we on now, Kyle? 66. 66. We are running low on Fast and Furious facts. All right, so the one that no one guessed was number three, voiced a main character in the hit video game Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. That's actually not true. That's Idris Elba, who's yeah. famously most known for his role in the Fast and Furious franchise and nothing else. Uh, he played the character of Sergeant Truck, whereas Chaz Palminteri did the voice acting in Call of Duty Black Ops 2 uh, by a character by the name of Sal DeLuca. Shocker with the most Italian-sounding name ever. But his character was only available in the Zombies map, uh, and it was called Mob of the Dead. Pretty funny uh, that they even used his character likeness. Um, you guys guessed uh, fact number one, uh, was the primary witness of a murder when he was 15 years old. Also, not about Chaz Palminteri, that's a Charlize Theron fact. She witnessed her own mother kill her father when she was 15 years old. However, Chaz did witness a mob killing on his doorstep. Kyle, you were correct, when he was nine years old, uh, and he actually refused to cooperate with authorities. This is the motivation for him to write the story, A Bronx Tale, which is actually an autobiography about his early childhood. Mm-hmm. And then fact number two was a bouncer at the Tunnel Nightclub. Most of you guys guessed this one. New York City before hitting it big in, in acting. Uh, also not true about Chaz. That's a Vin Diesel fact. Vin Diesel was a bouncer at the nightclub. But however, Chaz was a bouncer. And uh, it was at The Limelight in NYC with a fellow actor by the name of Dolph Lundgren. Nice. Yeah, so him and Dolph were working the door one time, and they refused entry to an agent by the name of Swifty Lazar because he was being a dick. <laughs> Lazar asked Paul Monteri if he knew who he was, and Paul Monteri uh, said no. And he's like, well, I could get you fired in 15 minutes. And Paul Monteri said, yeah, that's pretty much what everyone says. Uh, and then he did. He was fired 15 minutes later. Uh, and this actually forced Chaz to finally focus on writing a play about his life story. So all of those were about... 
the Fast and Furious cast, but Chaz is in there as well. Very similar life to uh, when you combined all the Fast and Furious members. Case, uh, tell us a little bit about Chaz's snapshot in box office. You know, I was excited when you told us about our assignment. I've heard him interviewed a bunch, and I've always liked his movies, and I've liked his roles. Movie by movie, my excitement was dampened <laughs> as I continued to put in very, very poor box office numbers. It's not until Usual Suspects that our boy is in a movie that made money. Now, of course, I left out The Last Dragon because he's, uh, what is he? The hood number two. He's the driver. He's the driver of the car. I didn't figure he had a massive impact one way or the other in the box office. So I left that one out. His movies struggle. And uh, I'm going to go over a couple of them and then I'm going to go ahead and give you his rankings here in a minute. One of the notable bomberoos, as we've talked about, is Yonkers Joe, which I believe he directed and produced as well as starred in. He at least produced it. The movie was budgeted for. Five million, and it made eight thousand. Eight thousand. Eight thousand. Oof. Eight thousand. In terms of rankings, he doesn't have very high rankings across the board. Total box office rank comes in sixty second out of sixty six. He's the lowest star meter that we've covered. His critic ranking fifty eighth at a forty four point one percent. Fan ranking, I, I would have thought, would have been much much higher than this. But his fan ranking comes in ranked 49th with an average of 57.5. And then he's dead last in two different box office metrics. Our boy comes in 66th out of 66. Oh, Chaz. <laughs> that feels prejudiced. Oh, no. Dead last. The Italian prejudice by Rotten Tomatoes. For I'll real. tell you what. I have 18 movies that have lost more than... $5 million. But one made enough to pay for a 2011 Chevy Traverse. So <laughs> pretty good. You better be a damn good character actor if you're going to lose that much money all the time in your movies. Okay. Sorry, James. 66 out of 66, baby. Oh, what a start. <laughs> you, always, you guys hear me always say all the time, we will see how the months and meter lines up comparatively to the box office. 66th in the rankings, number one in my heart. And that's all that matters. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. You're gonna give a. You better give him the Italian bump when we get to the end. I of don't course, know how, I don't know what that's worth. Oh, everyone but. knows what the Italian bump is. That's cocaine. <laughs> that's also true. In Meyer, he's rated the. Uh, he's rated A. That's what his rating is for me. <laughs> I don't have much on Chaz in the early years. Um, a lot of what I had already in the show notes was hit by James with his facts. Born in the Bronx in 1952, he started his acting work, acting in off-Broadway plays alongside doing the bouncing at clubs with Dolph Lundgren. You think Dolph threw out the line when he was bouncing that I must break you? I looked into Dolph Lundgren, and that dude is so accomplished and just gave up like his entire career to become an actor. Like He has multiple advanced degrees in like, engineering and was like, uh, uh, fuck it, I'm going to be an actor. And so like he was a bouncer despite having like easily could get like a great paying engineering job. And then he just started playing fucking meatheads. I was going to say, talking about that bouncing gig, I'm sure Chaz was like the mouth of the whole situation, like just mouthing off. And then Dolph was just standing back there like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dolph was the muscle and Chaz was the wise ass. He's the wise guy. Absolutely. Exactly. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? He's like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Chaz yeah. Is, uh, 
But let, let's get into his, his early stuff. He didn't really get into the professional acting world, so doing TV and, and film, until his 30s. So definitely not one of those guys that, you know, came out of film school at 21, 22 and started doing the work. It took him a long time to get there. So his first role wasn't until he was 30, 31 years old um, in a movie called Home Free All. He played a truck hijacker. At the end of the day, you got to get a role, right? You got to get your start somewhere. And in this case, it's you stealing a truck in a movie. Oh, it is what it is, right? Knock it out. But that next, what, two years later, his next movie is a cult classic. He played Hood Number 2 in The Last Dragon, 1985. It's such a fun movie to watch. I watched that movie regularly growing up. The character of Bruce Leroy, if you have any appreciation for Bruce Lee films, or I guess it'd be late 70s martial arts films, you can't not love the character of Bruce Leroy. Okay. Shogun's the bad, like, he's the bad guy. Shogun. That's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> I read that, like, every black actor in Hollywood wanted the Shogun role. Like, like Samuel Jatt, like, everybody was fighting for that role in the mid-80s because it was... He just gets to be an intimidating prick the whole movie. Like, everybody was gunning for it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Chaz is in one seed driving a car. So don't go for go to it for Chaz. But he was good, though. He was good. He did a couple TV show appearances in the mid-80s there on Hill Street Blues and Matlock and Dallas. And those are big shows in the 80s. His first recurring character in television was on Wise Guy, 1989. Played Peter and Sal, so a couple... Playing some Italian characters there in the late 80s. James, have you seen Wise Guy? No, I've never even heard of this show, so I bet it was great. I'm sure that's some of the stuff that he recognized, but it's like not legal for them to talk about it. <laughs> He's like thinking in his head right now, how the hell do you know about it? How do you know what you know about it? I'm Italian. I know what I know about it. What do you know about it? <laughs> yeah. It's insulting you that know? you're even bringing it up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so between 87 and 90, he did two other TV movies, four other TV appearances. So just doing a lot of like small projects there in the late 80s, but getting his name out there, starting to showcase his work, especially as an Italian character in film. Um, but the big thing in the late 80s there, before we get to his first major role, was the fact that he, as James alluded to, he wrote A Bronx Tale and started performing one-man plays there in the late 80s. The kind of his big break, and we'll talk about here in a little bit, that led to the movie Bronx Tale was Bob De Niro going to one of his shows mm -hmm. and Bob saying, hey, we need to turn this into a movie. So, uh, But be, even before we get to that, we're going to hit the first major role. So we've talked about a lot of different films and TV shows, small appearances, small characters. What we're going to call his first major role is the 1991 movie Oscar alongside Sly Stallone and Case has this review. I was really surprised that I was unfamiliar with this movie starring Sylvester Stallone. And then as I was watching it, I was pleased that I was unfamiliar with this movie, <laughs> which starred Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> what I did like about it is that it's drastically different than a lot of movies. It was like a mafia comedy. And I didn't realize it was, it was directed by John Landis. And the, the film is, is kind of cartoony. And the, the actors throughout do a lot of like double speaking, kind of that whole who's on first gag. A lot of the dialogue goes back and forth on that. There is a 1991 mafia comedy film directed by John Landis, as I stated earlier, starring a ton, a ton of big name actors. Uh, obviously, our boy Chaz is in this. You got Stallone, who plays the lead character of Angelo Snaps Provolone, his wife, Ormella Muti. Donna Michi's in this. 
Tim Curry, you could have watched this movie, James, and gotten over your it fear a lot earlier. <laughs> and then a 27-year-old Marissa Tomei, who appeared to be playing like an 18-year-old or 19-year-old daughter of Sylvester Stallone. And then there's a ton of other actors when you're seeing them. So many small, like William Atherton, Martin Ferrero, mm-hmm. Eddie Bracken, yeah. Kurtwood Smith. I mean, it just kept going with like... Kirk Douglas. Yeah, Kirk Douglas plays the, the dad at one point in one scene. The movie's a remake of a French play, which was moved, made into a French movie by the same name. The lead role played by Stallone was actually intended for Pacino. However, Pacino got bought out by a big paycheck to go and be in the movie Dick Tracy. So if Dick Tracy hadn't taken place, we would have had Pacino in this, and it probably would have been a, a drastically different movie. Landis actually wanted John Belushi <laughs> to play this role. Belushi had passed away, and, and that had kind of set some things back, and I thought that would have been an interesting role because would have been way better because belushi you know he can he had some dramatic chops and then he also would have played into the comedy side of things and there is some slapstick comedy in this movie it's so obvious that this movie's based on a play yeah it basically takes place in stallone's or the the main character provolone's house the whole morning uh stallone's dad and his last dying wish asked his son to go clean and be not a crime boss. And so his response to that, he was going to get out of crime and he was going to go in business with bankers. And while he's meet, waiting to meet with the board of this bank in the afternoon, he has all this wild shit happen during the day. There's just a lot going on. The movie was not received very well critically. 12%. It was nominated for three Razzies at the 12th annual Golden Raspberry Award. Worst actor for Stallone. Worst director for Landis, and uh, worst supporting actress for Tomei. Chaz plays Stallone's personal bodyguard, basically shadows him throughout the movie, offering these one-line quips and occasional jokes, and he he does well. And he, and he's and it may be because I was watching for this podcast, but I was always kind of waiting for him to say something. And I think you nailed it. It it definitely comes. Ac- it, it's obvious that it's a play, right? It it comes across very you know old fashioned and like stagey. The costumes are over the top, and mm-hmm. I think that initially was like hard for me to kind of get over because I don't really know what I expected. This is one of my wife's like childhood staples. Really? Yeah, I always find it fascinating because uh, she was homeschooled, and it hasn't really impacted our relationship at all, with the exception of pop culture, in which. <laughs> the only pop culture she consumed was the movies that her parents allowed her to watch. And what that normally consists of is like rom-coms and family comedies between like <laughs> 1985 and like 1993. And that's it. Yeah. And so like, she's like, Oh, you've never seen Oscar. I was like, you what? Like you haven't seen any movie you've seen Oscar. So what the hell? And so I watched it and it, it's a farce, right? So it comes across like yeah. a play. All the lines are super quick and they're kind of cheesy, but like because they're so like genuine, you kind of give them a break for it a little bit. I don't think a 12 is fair. No. No. I think that was just critics like looking for a reason to, to dogpile on Sylvester Stallone not being Rambo for like the first time. This is so early. I, this might have been one of his first comedy roles right yeah i mean this is 91 and one of my favorite reviews i see on rotten tomatoes says this is why stallone gave up on comedy (laughs) (laughs) 
Did I put my name on that review? I can't remember. Did it say Craig C. at the end of that? Did you change your name from Alex Sandell to Craig Case? Then, yeah, you nailed it. I think uh, Chaz is good in this. I think Tim Curry's probably the best in this of all the characters. Yeah. Um, but it's right, in the, it's right in a sweet spot. You know, like it's the, the one-liners, fish out of water. You know, I'm a more sensible man around just very rich mobsters. And so, like, that works. But... Is it a great movie? Absolutely not. Is it a 12? No chance. That's just being mean. That scene where he's asking him to remove all of his weapons and Chaz is pulling out every weapon known to man out of his suit. Yeah. I laugh pretty hard at that scene because it just keeps going. It's so dumb. Yeah, but it's funny because <laughs> it keeps going. Yeah, I appreciated that. But the other review I saw in here, it just says bad idea, badly executed. Because I'm in the 30 to 40 realm. I, it's a parody, so I gave it some credit. But man, yeah, Life Stallone in comedy, that's like lamb and tuna fish. You know what I mean? <laughs> More like spaghetti and meatball. Goes together great. Spaghetti and meatball. <laughs> Let's say for me, honestly, it was more of a of a fever dream when I was a child. It's like <laughs> you guys are describing it. I'm like slowly thinking about that scene you described where Chad's pulling out all these weapons in a suit. I just like remember just that memory for some reason. I don't remember anything else about the movie. Just just that one part. It's a cool scene. It's probably the most memorable scene. Yeah, because it was one of those movies where they would put on like public broadcasting, like on freaking Channel 40 at 7 o'clock at night. Yeah. Like family watching time at Fox 40. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those movies where your grandma and grandpa are like, ha, 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 terrific. You'll love this. Because they know <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's not going to be like anything, you know, too serious. Well, that's Oscar. 91, first major role. Yeah. But that first big role, mobster, gangster movie, gangster role. A preview of definitely what's to come uh, for the rest of his career. A couple of roles before we get to highest critic, number one. We've got Innocent Blood from 92, a movie with Luis Guzman and Angela Bassett in it. Played Tony. Spoiler alert, Chaz Palminteri's character does not last very long in this vampire movie. He gets murdered at the 18-minute mark by the female vampire film. Related to that, Kyle, I heard a great discussion on spoilers. This past week, the guy said, you know, I'm, I'm sick of people putting emphasis on spoilers. Everybody knew how Titanic was going to end and yet still enjoyed the movie. <laughs> and I don't give a shit about spoilers anymore. <laughs> I'm buying into that philosophy. Okay. All right. So then campy vampire movie where they don't mention vampires, a lot like the uh, Catherine Deneuve film we've talked about a couple times on the, on the podcast. Um, but he plays a gangster who gets targeted by a vampire and gets his fucking head blown off with a shotgun in, in a car after thinking he was going to get some sexy time. So that's that was his next role after Oscar. Um, and then we've got one that I know Rigby's a fan of, and that's There Goes the Neighborhood, played Lyle alongside Jeff Daniels and Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, I think this is a fun movie. Uh, good cast. Chaz plays a... Uh a recently broken out of uh, prison prisoner, I should say. He follows Jeff Daniels to find uh, some um, missing money that uh, has been reported. And they basically tear down two houses in a, in a neighborhood to try to find it. It's a, it's, it's just a really good eccentric cast. And yeah, Jeff Daniels, I love everything he's in and Catherine O'Hara as well. So it's a fun one. Yeah, for, I think for a while this one is was not even available to stream anywhere. It, it's been kind of hard to track down. But that's going to take us to highest critics. So early in his career, we're getting to highest critic score, and that is A Bronx Tale, 1993, and James. When this lined up, you know, if you're a longtime listener to the show or if you're new, we rotate reviews for the for the Munsons and the guests 
every episode. And it just so happened that James was on first major role last time. He picked up uh, Bronxdale, just like I got eight mile when we covered um, Anthony Mackey. And that was like the perfect thing for the guy from Detroit. This is a uh, right in James's bag to talk about Bronxdale. I agree, man. Now all we need is birth of a nation to line up with Rigby and we should be like three for three. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. How long have you been waiting to hold that one in, huh? Oh, dude, I've been, I think I wrote it down two weeks ago, to be honest. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So yes, Kyle's correct. This movie was a staple of my childhood. And when I got it, I was uh, enthralled. So uh, a Bronx tale is a, coming-of-age movie that kind of separates itself from the genre and that it's also a crime and family drama. Um, it's based on Chaz Palminteri's uh, life as it's autobi- uh, autobiographical. And the main character and the main character's father are actually named after Chaz and his father. So Chaz's real name is Colodro, and that is acknowledged as an oddly hard name to pronounce in the movie. Uh, and that is true. That is, he, that's why he doesn't go by that. He goes by Chaz. Um, Chaz is in the movie, however, he plays the main mob boss by the name of Sonny, and Robert De Niro plays Chaz's uh, real-life father, Lorenzo. Um, De Niro is actually making his directorial debut with this movie. So several studios actually approached Palminteri to purchase the uh, film rights after he wrote a one-man play and had been performing this for a good portion of a decade, um, with one actually offering close to a million dollars. But Palminteri refused to sell them the rights unless he could write the screenplay and play the role of Sonny. And since he was a relative nobody at the moment, no one would agree to that. But it wasn't until De Niro saw this and was blown away by it, thought it was one of, if not the best one-man show he had ever seen, and uh, offered to produce it uh, with a 50-50 partnership with Palminteri. All of his conditions met, said, you write the screenplay, you can star as Sonny, uh, you'll have as much say as I do, I just need to be the director of it. And they had a handshake agreement, and away they went. Um, so this movie's actually set in the Bronx during the 1960s, when a nine-year-old boy is torn between his honest kind of working-class father, um, who's a bus driver, and a violent yet super charismatic crime boss. Um, he's torn between them after he witnesses the crime boss commit a murder, and he doesn't rat on him. So that is a true story of Chaz's life. Uh, complicating the matters is as he grows up in the tumultuous 1960s, he uh, has a growing attraction for a young African-American girl, which is absolutely forbidden in his Italian neighborhood. The one thing that I think makes this movie good is that it, it's sneakily funny. Like, it is powerful. There's great dramatic scenes, but there's like so many funny one-liners. And the opening scene has a joke that is 10 for 10, still plays they're they're playing like smooth ass doo-wop music and he's like saying in a real smooth voice like setting the scene he's like that's my building i lived on the third floor there's my stoop and on warm summer nights all throughout the neighborhood you would hear young italian men romancing their women and all of a sudden you hear hey marie get in the fucking car (laughs) she goes no fuck you he goes i'm sorry baby you know I love you. She goes, yeah, bullshit. He goes, get in the fucking car. Bro, I die. I, me and my friends have been quoting that for our entire lives. It is so fucking funny and on the nose. The other thing, the soundtrack of this movie rocks. It's clear that De Niro went out of his way to pick songs of the times, but they also clash with each other. So you have like smooth doo-wop like from street corners, but then you also have like 
hard rock from later in the 60s to a lot of motown stuff too oh absolutely motown when it's the uh when um, the african-american neighborhood starts like encroach on the italian neighborhood the music changes uh it, it it's just it's a movie i hold near and dear to my heart I will talk about this movie forever. So if anyone else has seen it, I'd rather just bounce off of you. This is the first time I'd ever seen it, James. Really? I feel like everyone here has seen it. That sounds like like a story in the Bronx is just such a like I don't know, such a namestay movie in my opinion. Where like I feel like I've, everyone I've talked to, we've talked about this movie at some point in one way or another. I love the way the characters are written, and specifically De Niro and Chaz's characters. And that what I appreciated about Chaz's writing is he shows how, like, yeah, the, it, it's initially framed in the, the start of the movie that De Niro, his dad, is noble, is a great person, and then you learn these fucking racists, right? Like, that comes out very clear towards the end, and where his son's like, mm, I don't really jive with that, Dad, and he's like, eh, you know, black people, he can't do that. Versus Chaz's character, Sonny, is like, go get after him, man. Love is love, man. Who's who's to say one way or the other? Right. And so what I, what I love about it as the story progresses is how he shows that these two individuals can have an impact on this young man's in his life, but in both be flawed in their own ways, um, to a point where every time you think you're supporting one, you flip to the other one, then you flip back, and then you flip back again once you learn a little bit more about that character and how layered they are. And I would say watching a lot of Chaz's movies, a lot of his mobster characters are one-trick ponies. Right? It's, it's one element, one layer, versus this role, and then we're going to get into Bullets Over Broadway here in a moment. Those two roles, to me, are my favorite roles of his because they're so layered comparatively to the rest of the work. Kyle, what you mentioned about uh, Robert De Niro's character, who is playing Chaz's real-life father, uh, De Niro mentioned that um, the reason why he, he connected so strongly with this play is he saw a lot of his own relationship with his own father in C's relationship with Lorenzo because Robert De Niro, he's been married twice and uh, both of his wives have been African-American and growing up in New York at that time, like it doesn't get talked about that much for some reason, but like Italians are fucking racist, man. And it is so interesting to see, like, he's like, yeah, and this is probably exactly what Robert De Niro was going through in his conversations with his father and why it's so relatable when he saw the story. He's like, holy shit, I see myself in this. When Chaz was talking, he said that De Niro actually hung out with his real life dad for like a month. He flew him up from Florida and just said, I want to hang out with your dad. I just want to see what kind of man is he like. And he said, uh, that's where he got a lot of the inspiration to play um, the dad in the Bronx Tale. Because he just saw like how his dad, his mentality, uh, the years of driving on that bus. He actually learned how to drive a bus uh, because of that movie as well. I saw that. Yeah, he got, he got his like commercial license because of that. But what I, what I think is really cool about Bronx Tale is this is a play he still performs to this day in multiple cities every year. And turned into a musical at one point. I mean, this is his career is built from this. And the reviews on the play still are like, it is a storytelling masterpiece where like, it's not just about Chaz. Like he really wants you to know the characters and know the setting and understand the, the stakes that are going on here. So the one pop culture connection I made to this when I was younger, I used to listen to this really stupid fucking song about Mario, and it was this rap benefit that warped the world 6-9. Speaking of 69, David, there you go. Um, <laughs> and it's this whole rap about Mario getting Mario laid and how Super Mario Brothers is a great game. And it was this dumb thing I listened to in high school. <laughs> but at the start of it, there's a sample, and I never knew what the sample was from. 
and it's from this movie of him going you gotta have her take the test. What the Mario test? Mario's a fucking psycho. Bro, and I, I never knew what that was from until I watched this. I was like, oh, shit. Because he's referring to the door test, which is something uh, my impressionable young mind at the time thought was a real thing. Mm-hmm. But now as I watch it as I'm older, it's so funny because he's like trying to tell like a judge a character, and the door test is you make sure the doors of your car are locked when you're on a date and you, you bring uh, the girl that you're on the date with to her side and you unlock her door and let her in. And then you walk around back and you see if she reaches over to unlock your door. And he's like, oh, and what, what if she doesn't do that? And he goes, then you dump the bitch. She's a whore who can't be trusted. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It's like, all right, it's a little misguided, but I understand what he's going for. 94. He, uh... To my shock, because I didn't, I'd never seen this movie before. I did not know that Chaz got an Oscar nomination for his role as Cheech and Bullets Over Broadway, a movie that he got Oscar, SAG, and ISA nom. And as much as I hate to admit it, I really like this movie. I really like his character, and unsurprisingly, I like Woody Allen movies when he's not in them, and this is one of the ones he's not in. And so I enjoyed it. And I love his character in this movie. I've only seen this movie once. I've seen probably more Woody Allen movies than at least I know the regular host. I don't know about you two, but I agree, Kyle. I like Woody Allen movies that he is not in because his characters usually get annoying by the end of the movie. So neurotic. I can't deal with it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a huge fan of this one. And his character as Cheech is awesome. Yeah. It's the he and uh, he and John Cusack together are hilarious. The concept is that uh, John Cusack is trying to put together cast for a play and Jennifer Tilly is the daughter or the girlfriend of a mob boss that he has to hire to be able to produce, get the money to produce his play. And Chaz plays her bodyguard essentially. But instead of not sitting in the theater, he just sits there and watches the whole time. And it turns out his character has a great eye for writing and he continually like gives his feedback. And then it turns into him being the ghost writer of the play in the background um, to a point where it kind of leads to his demise. It's a pretty fascinating character and he's phenomenal. I think he does a really good job. And again, it gives his character more to play with than the normal. I'm the bad guy say intimidating things and don't screw me over. This was probably close to being highest critic, right? Yeah, it was pretty close. Rigby, who do you lose out to uh, for best supporting actor that year? He, it was Martin Landau for Ed Wood, Samuel Jackson, Pulp Fiction, Paul Schofield for Quiz Show, and Gary Sinise, Forrest Gump. Oh, all those movies. Quiz Show is fantastic. That was a pretty bulky group. That's, my, that's probably my favorite, um, Chaz Palminteri, personally, of all the ones I've seen. That was my favorite. But another big favorite is 95's The Usual Suspects. Plays Dave alongside our boy Dan Hedaya and uh, the infamous Gabe Byrne. I was thinking about this today. All of his scenes take place, you know, inside his office slash interrogation room, whatever you want to call him. And he, Kevin Spacey drives this movie, but it's not really possible without Chaz's character because he's the one who's questioning him, who's putting him on the spot, who's yeah, obviously leading up to the awesome finale that we all know, know and love of The Usual Suspects. But yeah, his face when he realizes that he's been played at the end is so, it's just, it's devastating. The role for Chaz here was originally written for him. But because of uh, scheduling issues, he didn't think he was going to be able to do it. So they asked Al Pacino if he wanted to do it, and he was going to. And then he eventually uh, turned the role down because he had just filmed Heat. He's like, I don't know if I want to do back-to-back cop roles. You know, are they going to take away from each other? And then uh, Chaz was actually free, but only for a week. And so they filmed his entire 
scene in this movie in one week. It was the first thing that they shot just to get it out of the way. That's really cool. I had just seen The Usual Suspects like literally yesterday for the first time like in completion. Oh, wow. Because again, like, you know, this is this is just one of those movies that you would see like on public broadcast where I would, like, I would just catch like the last 30 minutes of. And I but like I completely forgot everything since I was a kid. So I had to rewatch it. I'm just glad we had at least one role that we covered today where Chaz and Dan Hedaya played cops together. We at least had one. Thank God. You know, the last role I'll mention before we get the lowest critic is the Perez family a movie we covered on the Angelica Houston episode. Um, he played Lieutenant Pirelli, so another cop in a movie about um, Alfred Molina and Marissa Tomei pretending to be married as they come to America and all the shenanigans that come from that after. And that'll take us to Lois Critic, which is 1996's Faithful. It's not a great movie. I mean, he certainly puts a position into it where it's like, okay, at least Chaz is pulling his own weights in this movie. Um, the rest of it's really cut really weird, and the acting is... It's very like lifetime movie-esque. There's a lot of it's very wooden, mm-hmm. very a lot of like, yeah, man, I can really tell you to not improvise at all uh, in said movie. Well, looking at Rotten Tomatoes, the uh, Faithful came in at six percent from the critics, so half of what Oscar got at twelve percent. And uh, I feel like any movie with Cher being one of the main roles, that's probably asking for trouble even before you get started. So. Maybe we just saved our audience a little bit of mental pain by not spending too much time talking about Faithful. I'm looking at reviews and we're going to talk about, is it next? It's coming up in like three movies, but the one review from Mike Clark of USA Today says, if I had Diabolique and Faithful in theater simultaneously, I'd hire a hitman to take myself out. So it gives you a little sneak preview at, at another one we're going to talk about here in a moment. 96, he was in Mulholland Falls. Is Elroy, a, a movie alongside Nick Nolte, Jennifer Connelly. Um, he plays a pretty major role in this movie. Uh, he's in the, the final scenes with Nick Nolte, um, kind of taking on the bad guys. See Mulholland Drive. I've never seen Mulholland Falls, though. Same here. I love Mulholland Drive. This, this movie's always like, I feel like it always comes up on like my streaming services, and I have <laughs> yet, to, yet to actually pull the trigger and watch it. The basic gist is like, he and these other guys are law enforcement in LA and they're trying to keep gangsters out of the town. So for once he doesn't play a gangster, he just plays a cop. They do a lot of, a lot of shady shit to keep mm-hmm. gang violence out of their town. He has the most like anticlimactic death scene ever at the end of the movie to where like I he Chaz does a lot of things well, but dying in movies is not his strength. And multiple times it's he's not very good at dying. He's no Ken Watanabe. No, exactly. That dude died. How many times? What percentage did he die, James? Like 60% of the time? Yeah, I wanted to say it was like close to two-thirds of the movie he's yeah. in. He's dead. Th- doesn't this take place in like the, it's like 50s LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and his death in Bullets Over Broadway, also not believable at all either. So just not really in his bag is dying on film. Not, it's not really Chaz's. Him and Nolte are a good opposite gritty type of co-stars i wish they had done more together during this time the, f- the film's decent it's like a 55 60 it's not bad mm-hmm. it's no mulholland drive but it's decent yeah but you know what's not very decent is diabolique you played guy and 96 as well the movie i just referenced about someone wanting to hire a hitman for himself he plays a sadistic dean at a school and man he is dramatically awful. Was this one of the movies that inspired Zoolander's look? <laughs> I could diabolique my own balls. Very, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. 
Has anybody else seen Diabolik? Am I the only one who went down this Hell journey? No. no one else watched Diabolik? I think I'm going to sully my good th- reputation. You know, I, I, I have this man propped up on a pedestal. I'm not watching these movies. Sharon Stone and him and Kathy Bates. I mean, there's some big time actors in this one. Uh, but it's it's a twist film that is very poorly executed. And he is, like I mentioned, dramatically pretty awful. So I, I bit the bullet for everybody else. You're welcome, fuckers. This is, this is me every episode. I lay on some grenades for us just so the world can hear about some shit movie they were in. Um, but I've got the time and the patience for it, so I don't mind. Uh, Hurley Burley, 1998, alongside Sean Penn. And probably... The Chaz role we talk about the most and we quote the most. Mr. Zadier and the Night of the Roxbury alongside Dan Hedaya again. Hell yeah. Legendary. Did you grab my ass? Is that Jim Carrey? Come over here, you pet detective fuck. <laughs> In a movie full of random, ridiculous characters, I think he takes the cake for just being totally ridiculous. Yeah. So more power to him for that. Such a lovable club owner. These are good boys. Do we? He kind of plays a club owner in Down to Earth. We'll get to that in a second, mm-hmm. but it is, he's got the same vibe. Mm-hmm. I buy him as a club owner for sure. Absolutely. Position of authority. He goes back to the gangster side and analyze this. Plays Bross, Boss Primo Sedone. A fun movie. I rewatched it. I enjoyed it. I enjoy analyzing this every time it's on. Very fun movie. He's a good, like, adversarial guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And whether he's a gangster or just, like, a cop, like, he just he just plays that really well. And this is, he's, like, the main rival to Robert De Niro in this movie. Mm-hmm. And Robert De Niro plays a, if you don't know the plot, Robert De Niro plays a an aging mobster who uh, starts seeing a therapist. And he basically tries to hide that he's in therapy to, like, all the mafia, all of his, like, mafia colleagues. So chaz is like the one who's trying to take over his rackets basically so it's, it's really good it's a funny movie was this movie successful in the box office i remember this feeling like it was successful but i was too like young to really fully grasp if this did well or not i just remember everyone being like oh it's so good 80 million dollar budget world gross 177 million so this is one of his four that did well okay there you go good instinct james my favorite interaction in this movie is when Robert De Niro is like explaining his feelings to him and he cuts him off. He's like, Hey Paul. He's like, what? He's like, fuck you. He's like, stop talking to me. <laughs> like just cause you found a dictionary, and you know, a bunch of different words. You don't got to share them with me. Stuart Little 99 played the mobster cat Smokey. So even in voice roles is playing a mobster character. Shocking. I know you guys are shocked. I can see Case's face. He's shocked leads the pack of, of uh, cats who are trying to eat Stuart. Made his directorial debut in 99 as well, an episode, in an episode of Oz, which led to a few more that we'll talk about. Um, but before we get the largest audience gap, the Willennium happens. And his first role after the Willennium that we're going to talk about at least was alongside Chris Rock and Down to Earth. He played King. I enjoyed this movie. Uh, I think I saw it in theaters at the time. And it is stupid, but... It's enjoyable, stupid humor. I also enjoy him in the role. He, what does he play? Like, kind of like a, it feels like, like a St. Peter kind of character where like he's the club owner of heaven, essentially. I love the line when he's talking to the, he's talking to the dude. He's like, first you make Frank Sinatra wait for a table. He's like, he didn't have a jack. He's like, he's Frank Sinatra. He can wear whatever he wants. And they're talking about the club in heaven. Chris Rock is charming in this, but that's about it, I'll say. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into largest audience gap. 
Mark, our other cinema flavor guest, he drew Pool Hall Junkies from 2002. Mark, let's talk about it. Yeah, so this was a movie I had actually never seen before. Oh. Did a little bit of research on it, and I was like, oh, okay, this looks enjoyable. Almost looks like it's going to be like a, a, a modern day, at least for the time, like Color of Money. So I was like, okay, I, you know, I could get into this. The movie is essentially about, or it is about, uh, a character named Johnny, who is a pool hustler. He actually works under Chaz. Uh, Chaz is a, um, a mafia guy who works under the, the pool hall, and he also hustles a lot of people. They kind of have like this bit that they do back and forth together. Um, and Johnny is good enough to actually go to the pros. So uh, he talks about it with a couple of his friends, and Chaz realizes, oh, wait, he's eventually going to leave. And uh, I'm not going to have anybody to out-hustle anybody with. So he uh, rips up his invitation to go to the pros, and Johnny ends up becoming very bitter and uh, still stays hustling, but realizes that Chaz is weighing him down more than actually helping him out. Now, Chaz in this movie, he uh, he really kind of just plays to the typical role of being a mafia guy, something I've seen him do a bunch of times. Uh, we've clearly been talking about through his entire filmography. Um, he's not even really in this movie a whole lot, but the scenes that he is in, um, he again, he carries his weight really well. I'll give him that. I mean, Chaz is somebody who I can tell he's very confident on screen. He's somebody who clearly lived the life of a mafia person, or at least has been around that life enough times to where you feel like he's not pretending to be this guy. Um, and even listening to him on like shows and stuff, you realize, oh, no, he definitely is that dude. He reminds me a lot of like, like a Danny Trejo. I feel like it's where he's like he almost got lucky that he was able to fall into acting, and and that's why he's not like this huge uh, Hollywood. Like he's not on like De Niro's level. More or less, he's just a guy who got lucky enough to play those roles, and he could just kind of live his life doing that. Yeah, he's a good villain in this movie. The pool shots, a lot of the pool shots are really cool. Uh, that when they show ones like where the balls backtracking through, they do they do a pretty good job on that. I like Christopher Walken. I think he pl- he plays the character. His like millionaire backer against Chaz Palminteri. I think th- those two, how they play off each other as as backers, is fun. Walken is is great in this too. That guy is another guy that's you could put him in any role, and he's just so comfortable and confident about it that he just nails it every time. Well, we'll keep it cruising here. We've only got one more review left, but we got a lot between '03 and 2014. So it's a big chunk here. Um, his second director uh, role, this time a feature film was the the movie Women versus Men in 2002. Okay movie, but again I think it's it's important to note this is his like director time. So he did that and then 2 years later he came back and he directed Noel, a Christmas film um which also starred Susan Sarandon. Um pretty Paul Walker was in that movie. He had, he had a pretty decent cast for his second feature film directing. That movie sucks. It's awful. But Good for him for trying. I don't think he's directed anything since then, so I think Noel killed his directing career, <laughs> at least on the film side. I'm disappointed that I didn't realize the role you're about to talk about, that Ving Rhames was in Kojak. He what? Or was Kojak. I didn't yeah. realize he played. I love Ving Rhames. I, I wish I'd have known that series existed. He's back with Paul Walker in 06 in Running Scared, played Detective Rydell. This movie's violent as hell. Well, shit, I forgot all about that movie. It's really in your face and violent. Yeah, I was just that's probably one of my favorite Paul Walker movies. Uh, Paul Walker was in Fast and Furious movies, right? I believe that's correct, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Little Man, 2006. He plays a gangster in this movie. 
It's a heavy roll. I watched this for the first time ever, and I fucking hate it, but I also laughed at times. It is a really, really dumb movie with the Wayans brothers. So dumb. I feel like they went off the deep end with, when they started with uh, White Chicks and really haven't recovered since then. So, little man, don't watch it, but watch it at the same time if you want some smut in your life. There's always one terrible movie every podcast that I like, and last week it was Rigby's The Big Wedding. He hated it. I thought it was funny. So, it's, this is the one for me, little man. Sometimes a movie could be so bad that it's actually good. And that is the hope when you start looking at movies like that, where you're like, oh, is this so stupid that it's actually fun? But not the case. That's like Jury Duty, the Stanley Tucci episode for me. Oh, fuck yeah. I had so much fun reviewing that. Oh, six. He is in, uh, he kind of takes a little bit of departure. I'd like to note all the times where he didn't play a gangster or a cop. And this is one of the very few times, guys, that he did it. He played Monty and a guide to recognizing your saints. He plays like a positive father figure character in this movie. And it was very weird to see. I wish he's done more of this in his career. He didn't. It was like a Sundance darling. Shia LaBeouf's in it. Channing Tatum's in it. It's, a, it's an indie classic in a lot of ways that I'd never seen before. But it's just weird seeing him in a role where he's not one of those two types of characters. Good cast. It was like Uncanny Valley-wise, where like you see it, but you're just so weirded out. It's like, I, I know it's good. I just I don't know how to feel about it, though. I, you know, and I usually love the Hindis. I did not enjoy this movie. It was a slog for me. Um, it's almost too artsy at times, but like Rigby said, great cast. Robert Downey Jr. is in this. Diane West is in this. Yonkers Joe, that movie that uh, that Case talked about earlier, lost all that money. He was an executive producer on that. He went to Broadway in 08 with A Bronx Tale. Yeah, he would play 18 roles in the middle of that um, that production, that one-man show. That's crazy can you imagine how exhausted you are at the end of one of those shows how, how often is he doing that is that like a couple months kind of thing i think he's doing multiple times a week on broadway how long are the runs a couple months james normally i mean depends it how successful depends how good yeah. the money is and how much you're willing to put up with but if you're only working like three nights a week and making a ton of money maybe you could do that for a long time but 2008 a role with jessica chastain a movie we reviewed a long time ago and talked about how problematic it was jolene he played sal i think we talked about being like of the men in this woman's life he was the most positive but still not that positive he was the least problematic and he's like a vegas bookie crime yeah. boss and he's <laughs> he's the least problematic because there's no statutory rape involved yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I would recommend it to people just so you could be shocked at what the hell you're actually watching. One of the things I noticed on his IMDb and just reading about him, one of the roles he constantly gets um, recognized for is his role in Modern Family is Shorty. He only did it six episodes, but enough that people know him from that. His bit in Modern Family is pretty funny. So he is Ed O'Neill's like uh, army friend, uh, military friend. I forget what branch they're in. And in the first time you meet him, he's like single and he's really well dressed. And because Ed O'Neill is like kind of an ignorant dad, he's like, oh, he's he, he talks to his son, Mitchell, who's gay and married. He's like, he's, uh, you know, he's on your team. And so the whole time Mitchell's like, I don't think he's gay. And the whole bit is them trying to figure out if he's gay. But really what it is, is he's a snappy dresser who is in uh, terrible gambling debt and just is trying to hang out with them so he can ask them for money. And it's such like a funny way to play on it because it just plays off of Ed O'Neill's like ignorance. And uh, I think Sofia Vergara at one point is like, the only reason I do think he's gay is he's the only friend of Jay, uh, Ed O'Neill's who's never hit on me. So he's probably gay if that's the case. <laughs> he's funny. And it, 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 
it's similar to like uh, Night at the Roxbury, where like you're used to him being an intimidating person, and so when they put like a slight twist on it, it makes like all of his one-liners land. And I mean, he did it over nine-year period too, so it was good enough to keep bringing him back over a full decade, which is pretty cool. Another TV show there around 2010 to 2014 did six episodes of Rizzoli and Isles. Um, made an appearance in Hollywood and Wine with David Spade in 2011. Opened his restaurant, Chaz, a Bronx original in 2011. If you uh, if you had to guess who he was in Rizzoli and Isles, uh, he's related to Rizzoli. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> Shocker. I know that was tough for you guys to figure out. Mighty Fine, another one of those movies where he didn't play a gangster or a cop. He plays a, a father figure who gets pretty angry in this movie. Um, alongside Annie McDowell, who has a Holocaust, like Jewish survivor ac- accent that is that is horrifying. It's it's almost as scary as the Holocaust itself. It's that bad. Oh boy, it's it's really off. Obviously, I'm kidding, but if you watch it, you'd be like, "Holy shit, Andy, what are you doing?" <laughs> but it's a story about a, a dad who moves his kids from Brooklyn, New York, to New Orleans, and whole business falls apart after he does that. So again. One of the few roles where he didn't play one of those two stereotypical characters he plays throughout his career. 2012 as well, I point this out. He was in something called The Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure. Played Milky Marvin. He sings a song called the Milkshake Moo Moo song. And if case, if that's not at the end mm. of the episode and the Easter eggs we leave, I think we've done failed Chaz Palminteri. I'll do my best. Listen to it and you'll understand why. This is a, a little kid movie, I'm assuming. Yes. If you're paying me and I'm free, I'll do your high school. Yeah, movie. I'll be there. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. That, oh, Let's yeah. go. The video game that uh, James talked about for COD, um, Mob of the Dead in 2013, and then made the uh, customary Law & Order SVU appearance in 2014. Of course. Of course. One episode. You have to. I'm, surprised. I'm shocked it took him this long to 2014. I know. I was going to say, I, he's like the perfect uh, character to play that in the 80s, so I'm 80s and 90s. It's hilarious that Rigby's review is largest critic app, and it's an animated movie. Rigby fucking hates animated films, and it's going to be really interesting to hear him talk about it because it's all about the New York Yankees, and I assume James has seen it. So it's called it's called Henry and Me. Uh, Luis Guzman is in it, and Rigby has it for largest critic app. So I don't like animated movies, but this is this movie has two saving graces. One, it's about sports, so that made it a little easier to watch. And two, I should say three. Two, it's really short; it's sixty-six minutes. And three, it has a very heartwarming message. So uh, it does. Believe it or not, I actually really enjoyed this movie. What? I did. I did. The Yankees, literally, literally the only people, the only people involved with the Yankees that weren't in this, I feel like, were Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. But like, yes, literally, like. Mark Teixeira, Curtis Granderson, Bernie Williams, uh, Hank Steinbrenner, like every single Mariano Rivera, every single Yankee that you can think of for the last 30 years has a voice role in this or has some sort of appearance. Just a quick a quick synopsis of the plot. Henry and Me is about a terminally ill boy who is obsessed with the New York Yankees and his family is obsessed with the New York Yankees. And he's given a medicine by his doctor to be granted a guardian angel who's played by Richard Gere, whose name is Henry. And Henry takes Jack, who's the dying boy, on a journey through history to visit multiple New York Yankees throughout history. And where Chaz comes in is he plays Babe Ruth, who arguably has the, of any of the, of any of the past Yankees, he has probably the biggest role in this movie. No. 
Um, aside from Richard Gere, he probably is most prominent in this because he's kind of with him all along the way, which is good. So, um, although I didn't buy Chaz Palminteri as as uh, as Babe Ruth, I don't think I've ever heard Babe Ruth talk, so I couldn't really go that far in saying I didn't agree with it one hundred percent. But famous Italian Babe Ruth, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this movie is very it's very sad because it it. It's obviously made for kids, but it's also um, tailored for grown-ups too because the grown-ups who will watch it, a lot of the kids who watch it probably won't know a lot about these old Yankee players. It's the old message about baseball. It teaches us about life. It brings us all together, brings family together, bring fr- brings friends together. And when you're on this journey with Henry and Jack, you, you kind of – Henry kind of introduces Jack to how these players – you know challenges that they that they ran into in their lives and how that's related to what he's going through in his in his own life while he's dying. So I don't want to give away give it give away the the twist because it's a cool twist, really cool twist. And if you don't if you don't know about it, even if you don't watch it, just go read the Wikipedia synopsis. It's it, it'll give it away, but it's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it was good. I really liked it. And again, the fact that it was sixty six minutes made it even more enjoyable. My favorite part of all movies that involve my favorite uh, sports team, the Yankees, is that they always win. Uh, They're the bad guys who still win, or they're the good guys that are helping a terminally ill child who also win. (laughs) It's truly the the best decision I've ever made in my life was rooting for this team. Conversely, the worst decision I've ever made in my life was being a Jets fan. So they even out, but we're still here. You're 50-50, Dan. Yes. 50-50. What I did find funny is that uh, some of the Yankees that are in this movie, uh, we have uh, Nick Swisher uh, playing himself. Uh, you know, Yankee legend Nick Swisher. You could tell that this came out right after the uh, the World Series there. Uh, Hideki Matsui, legend himself. I wish he stayed on the team longer. Ended up being a World Series MVP. And then uh, Curtis Granderson, whose contract kind of hamstrung the team for a while there it just seems like the yankees were like yeah i mean whoever's available let's just throw them in it's funny you say that because i so i i think they made they probably made this movie in like 2010 or 11 um because george steinbrenner even though he's in it is played by hank who's his son obviously mm-hmm. um and george steinbrenner died in 2010 and like you said matsui is in it i think Mats. i don't think matsui's been with the yankees since like 20 20- 11 he i feel like he was off the team before 2014 but i could be i could be mistaken he was absolutely he after they won the world series that was the last year he was there yeah i mean kevin kevin long is in this movie he's the yankee hitting coach like (laughs) it's streaming in a couple places too so for those listening that have never heard of it if you look for a short watch heartwarming and you can tolerate lots of yankee talk it gets a pretty cool animated journey to go on rigby last question where do you fall in the critic app it is 80 45 uh, I'll go 75. Let's round it out. Last couple of years here. So most recently, 2015, he was in the movie Legend, played Angelo, alongside Tom Hardy playing the two twin gangsters. Um, he plays a little bit of a middleman in this movie. He's only in a couple scenes, not too much. I never saw this one, and I love Tom Hardy. He's playing two very different characters um, as these two gangster brothers. So you'd enjoy it, I think. Uh, in 2018, he took A Bronx Tale to the musical stage. So that show evolved even more. And then some TV stuff over the last couple of years. I mean, he's been in some shitty movies, too, but we're not really going to talk about them. Um, <laughs> like In the Mix and Clover. I mean, there's some just really bad movies. In the Mix is with 
Usher. Yes, I remember that movie. It's fucking tragic. It's so bad. But uh, Godfather of Harlem, a, a show that I think has actually gotten pretty good ratings alongside um, Forrest Whitaker plays Joe. He's in 13 episodes of that. Yeah, what channel is that on? Is that on Stars? It's on Epic. And then another Law & Order appearance in Organized Crime 2021. But the thing that I, I note here is if you type in Chaz Palmentary on YouTube, which I normally will do to try to like, find the interviews, everything mm-hmm. you find on YouTube is his podcast. I agree. Like, you have to dig to find non-podcast-related content on this man right now. That's sweet. That's good marketing. It is. He's, he's owning the algorithm, for sure. And it's cool. He like answers... Uh, fan questions. I know, Mark, you said you've been listening to a bunch of it. Yeah, um, he'll answer fan questions. He'll talk about his tour. Like, it seems it's very personable. Props to the man. He's got a bunch of one man shows lined up for this fall across, in cities across the country. I was like, is he coming to Indianapolis? If he's coming to India, I'll fucking go. I'll go watch it. I'll go watch this man do a Brock's Tale. That'd be awesome. I agree. I agree. I would go hang out with him. That's right. James, let's go. And we'll use your Italian privilege to get us to the front of the line. <laughs> Meet this man. Dude, please, in, in India, he would see me and be like, oh, you're the only <laughs> Italian guy here. We'd be in VIP by then having, having drinks with man. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're probably related. Move to the front, All right, please. let's tweet him after this. But I got to give him props. Keeping the brand alive. He's podcasting, taking advantage of the technology available to him. He's not acting as much as he used to, at least on screen, but he, he's still doing his play over and over again. So, you know, shout out to the man for doing the work. All right, we've, uh, we've reached the present day. Rigby? Probably has some top performances for us. Let's see if we can guess them. The list that I found, it had in the mix number one, so I decided to go with a different one, if that's all right, Kyle. <laughs> it had in the mix number one, really? Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. I was about to lose my fucking mind. Found a list from July 2014. It's old, but if you look at his filmography, uh, it's still pretty timely because he hasn't really been in much in the last 10 years. So the way it's labeled is it's five essential roles and one the best of the best, which is what this blog calls... The uh, calls his best role, and it's from a film blog called And So It Begins. You did this like three or four episodes ago, and I think we really liked it. Yeah, I think so too. I like I like the setup here and um, six total roles. I mean, it's got to be a Bronx Tale. Bronx Tale is an essential role. Bullets Over Broadway is probably his best. Yes, it is. And I agree. The author of this said, This was honestly one of the hardest calls I've made for an in character post. No shit. Chaz Palminteri is perfect in a Bronx Tale, flawless even. And after rewatching it, I was more than ready to hail Sonny as his best work. But then I had the urge to rewatch Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway, and in minutes I realized that Palminteri's confident and hilarious turn as Cheech is the best acting he's ever done. I agree. I'd say it better myself. Usual Suspects is on that list? Yep. Is a guide to recognizing your saints on there? Uh, no. Hmm. Night at the Roxbury. No. It should be, dude. That movie's hilarious. This list just grabbed my ass, and I'm not a fan of it. You pet detective, fuck you. You pet detective (laughs) bastard. Uh, Analyze this. Analyze this, yes. Primo, we need two more. Possibly a legend? Give me Innocent Blood. No to both of those. Mulholland Falls. Yes. What about Jade? Nope. Pool Hall Junkies? Nope. Oh, that would have been my next guess. I mean, obviously it's Stuart Little. Not a bad guess. <laughs> nope. That's not a bad guess at all. Damn. Did we talk about it, Rigby? The last one? Yes. We mentioned it. We mentioned it. Oh, Henry and me. Nope. The Press family. Nope. Fuck. All right, just tell us. Uh, Hurley Burley. Was it Hurley Burley? Okay. Yep. 1998. 
Well, I like when we always we have a list and there's one of them we didn't mention because it, it proves that we don't fucking know everything, that we miss things sometimes. So I, I appreciate that. All right, thanks, Rigby. Yep. It is months and meter time. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, boss office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. Rigby, get us started. Yeah, so Chaz, when I found out we were doing him, I was excited. He's um, an entertaining guy. Not the best range, but I've always found him to be one of those actors that when he comes on the screen, I, I like his presence there. And I think he's got a really good presence outside of the of, of Hollywood as well. He, I know he's a restaurant owner, business owner. Obviously, has his own podcast that seems pretty prominent. Um, yeah, so I'm a I'm a I'm a Chaz Palminteri fan. I, I have no, nothing against him at all. So all that being said, I'm gonna give him a 74. I'm next, so I, I'll give him credit in a couple of different areas. Number one, I give him credit as a playwright. That's I think that's an incredibly hard thing to do. I love seeing that out of performers. Anybody who goes on to the theater side, successful, especially for a guy who's been doing a Bronx Tale as long as he has and still stayed relevant to this day. Um, I give the man props there. Um, but generally speaking, he plays two main roles, a gangster and a law enforcement officer. His range is about as limited as it gets of the people we've covered, other than maybe like Dan Hedaya and Danny Trejo, um, who play very particular characters, right? These are character actors at the end of the day. Philip Seymour Hoffman was a character actor, but could play anything and anyone, right? So there is there is a limitation for some character actors. I wish I would have saw more like the work he did in... um, movies like Mighty Fine and A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints because those were departures and I think he did okay but at the same time he did drama well there but then he was just absolutely atrocious in movies like Diabolique uh, and Faithful from everything I've read sounds like it did nothing good for his career either even when he was stepping into different genres he was still playing a lot of those same gangster law enforcement types of roles even when he was a cat in a movie that's going to color my my score a little bit um i give him bonus points because he talks about how much he loves detroit and his daughter is a michigan wolverine so he gets a couple bonus points there (laughs) you know it's the the wolverine blood runs through their veins um and i honestly i i don't say this with every episode we do he's part of two of my new favorite movies and that is bronx tale and bullets over broadway i really enjoyed both of those i would rewatch those in a heartbeat um, I'm shocked it took me this long to watch both of them, especially Bronx Tale, since it's such a cultural staple. You know, he's got the Oscar nom, which is great, but virtually no other awards love otherwise in his career. Um, and his project choice is pretty abysmal. His, his box office is dead last of everyone. I got to take that into account. And I know Case will too. That's big for him. So with that, I'm a lot lower than you, Rigby. I'm giving him a 55. Damn. Uh, uh-huh. Kyle, I appreciate your uh, your love for Bronx Tale, though. Welcome, welcome to the uh, the bandwagon. Big fan, big fan. But we'll toss it to you, our guest Monson. I really appreciate Chaz, man. I, unfortunately, it's like his uh, his filmography doesn't really show it, but he is such a soldier and he's such a uh, a treasure in the, in this game. As far as like Hollywood, we don't really have a lot of actors who are just kind of steadfast, who just kind of appreciate being in just a kind of like a one fit role that always just works. Um, it's too bad that like he came up in the eighties instead of like more like the late sixties with like Scorsese. I feel like he would have really worked well if he was in that constant rotation with Pesci and 
and De Niro around the time of like Raging Bull. Um, you know, I, I know this is more like to the end of like Goodfellas era, uh, but I just I feel like it's just kind of like a wrong time kind of situation. I just wish he was able to be around that time. But um, no, I really, really appreciate Chaz. I'd, I'd say Chaz is, I give it like 85 for me. Really, just I really just enjoy him as, Oof, and plus too, like I it. love the podcast too, man. He's, he's podcast. I've listened to a lot of podcasts and after a while, like with actors, you just go, this isn't really all that interesting, but he always keeps it fresh. And it just, there's something about his era and where he grew up that is just, it's so interesting to listen to. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's definitely up there for me. Fair score, baby. Every score is fair here. Yes, sir. Except for the Dennis Haysburg 95. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> you bite your tongue. You grabbed my ass. I felt like my ass was grabbed by Cam Sully in that episode. Case. Yeah, you guys have pretty much said everything I would bring up. You know, limited range. Two things that I'm going to give him a big bump on that I, I think are really cool. Number one, of everybody we've looked at, he's got the baddest, coolest, IMDb photo of anybody that we've covered. And I was like, damn, that's a bad looking dude right there. And then second, just the uh, the set of balls on this guy to do a one act play in the 80s and really turn his life into art, I, I think is really something to, to admire. And I agree. You know, I think the era he grew up and where he grew up from, I, I can sit and listen to the people tell those stories all the time. And, and every time I've heard him interviewed, I've always just thought he's a pretty cool dude. So I will uh, give him a 68. James is our resident Italian. Last but certainly not least, round us out. Well, I'm actually shocked at the scores that he got. I thought he would get much lower scores. Uh, and it's pretty interesting to see kind of the spectrum uh, that yeah. we've all kind of landed on here. We've hit four different, essentially, decades where a 50, a 60, a 70, and an 80. We're all over the place. So you're calling Kyle an anti-Italian racist, right? That was known well before this episode, though. So, like, that's not yeah. that's like <laughs> a new thing for me. No, you guys have hit on a lot of it. You know, like, I was going to think I was giving the highest score. Um, but then uh, Rigby, you and I are going to have the same score. I'm going to give him 74. Uh, a Bronx Tale is a classic to me, and it's something I grew up on and I've probably seen a couple hundred times. Um, it'll always be near and dear to my heart. And there are other roles I think he is great as kind of like a charming, uh, but also like sneakily funny roles. I think he does have a good sense of humor about him. And I think that's why he plays so well in like night at the Roxbury or on modern family. Um, same with down to earth. I thought he was great in that as well. Uh, he's just, he's, he's got like a, a, a slickness to him and also like an approachable kind of, uh, down to earth, salt of the earth type of guy, and I really appreciate that. So, with that, that gives Chaz a 71.2, which puts him in 36th place out of 66, which is far above his 66 out of 66 box office measure. Uh, but I'm going to give you guys some other names here, and I'm going to tell you I don't think this is going to age well. But he has a higher score than William Hurt, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Danny Trejo, Alicia Vikander. I mean, every scare, every score is fair, but I would. People going to tell us that he's a better actor than William Hurt? I don't know, guys. I don't know if I buy that. He's a better person than William Hurt. That's very accurate. Hey, show some respect for the the deceased. He's dead, yeah. But is thirty fifth place Chris Pratt a better person than Chaz Palminteri, or better than William Hurt? This is the world. You know, this is where we've put ourselves at this point, where like 
you start comparing scores to scores and like I'll see some scores I've given and be like, why did I do that? And then I'll look back on it and be like, oh, I gave an extra five points because we have the same birthday. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, <laughs> we just have to, you know, kind of accept our fate here. That's true. He got the the 10 point Italian bump from William Hurt 64 for you. So that makes Honestly, sense. that is where I, I was wrong. It's like, I think if he wasn't so near and dear to my heart, I would have been in the mid 60s, but I had to I had to give the 10 point swing there. We were all over the place with that one. That, is, that might be the widest distribution of scores of anybody we've covered up to this point, 55 to 85 and everything in between. So that's fascinating. Yeah, that's what makes, I was going to say that's what makes this show fun. Just every, yep. we're all different, you know? Actually, Treo was even bigger because Warren gave Treo a 52 and our guest gave him an 85. So it was an even, an even wider gap for Treo. Um, okay. James, what does, uh, what does Chaz have coming soon? So he has a movie by the name of On the River, which I believe he actually stars in. Uh, it's a, about a con man who organized a scheme to uh, steal a million dollars in cash and diamonds uh, in high-stake poker game. So that actually sounds fascinating. That also sounds pretty much like right in his wheelhouse, so I think that would be enjoyable. Oh, that's also with uh, Vincent Pastore, a big, uh, big pussy from The Sopranos. So that would make sense while they were hanging out recently. Um, also, the... Uh, move by the name of Stone Pony, which is in pre-production, which doesn't have any information uh, on IMDb, but he is the uh, main star of. Yeah, he's got a couple projects, but he's podcasting. That's what he's going to be doing, just like us, living his best podcast life. He's doing it very well. Five actors we're going to throw under the wheel for episode 67. That podcast will hit July 28th, 2022. James Marves is returning. He uh, he was here previously for Daryl Hannah and Brian Cranston. Um, so he's hit a couple bangers in there. Uh, he's picking between one of these five actors. John Hawks, John Turturro, Anne Bancroft, John Michael Higgins, and Emil Hirsch. What do we think about that? Oh, dude, I want John Turturro. Me too. Turturro is so funny. He is a legend. An absolute legend. He's been he's worked with some awesome directors too. That's true. A lot of Spike Lee, few Scorsese, Coen Brothers. Yep. I think Emil Hirsch would be fun just because he he's kind of trying to make his way back a little bit, but he was in some bangers in the and Alpha Dog, James. Alpha Dog. I've never heard of it. Yep. Let's do it. According to Warren, you haven't heard of it. Into the Wild, obviously. Very good. Also filling featuring Willie Hurt. And Bancroft would be interesting because this is like an error I am not very familiar with. So this would all like be new stuff for me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and The Graduate, as much uh, as good of a movie as it is, has not aged well. If you have seen that recently, I would have to rewatch it. Same here. To, and I would probably agree with you, Rigby, for sure. I'm team John Hawks, so we can appropriately talk about Eastbound and Down. Oh, we've never mentioned that before, have we? Wait, who is he in Eastbound and Down? He's his brother, isn't he? I was hoping he was Steven, uh, Stevie Janowski, who's like one of my favorite side characters of all time. <laughs> I did not realize John Hawks had a 139 credits. Holy fuck. Yeah, he is his brother. Yeah, dude. Nice. I, w- I would love to hear you guys talk about Totoro, though. I would love to talk about Totoro. John Michael Higgett. John Michael Higgett is funny, but also is in bad movies like Blade Trinity. I think he's in Best in Show. 
which is a hilarious comedy. Yeah, dude, he's in a ton of funny comedies. Uh, Best in Show is hilarious. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Bloodhound finally winning. <laughs> whatever, whatever dog show that is. James, I think, said John Michael Higgins is the he's. He's the best. He plays the best gay character of any straight guy out there, right? Dude, I was genuinely shocked to find out that he's straight. I just assumed he was a gay man because he plays a gay guy in like every role. Yep. He's got a lot of TV on his in his career too. A lot of television. Stuff. Like he he is very funny, so he'd be fun to do. Mm-hmm. Pitch perfect. Feel like that. I'm kind of with you guys. Like if to learn new stuff, like Anne Bancroft would be like the Maggie Smith episode for me. Just a lot of like yeah. older movies that I don't know anything about. So that's fun. That's always enjoyable, but. If I had to pick one, it's either Turturro or Hirsch, I think would be the two that I would pick. Hirsch is also a victim of uh, being in a Bars Lerman, Boz Lerman movie. So, like, that is a career killer sometimes. And he <laughs> and that just happened to kill his career. What can you do about it? It's not going to be it for uh, what's his Austin Butler and Elvis. His, his career is going to skyrocket from Elvis. He's incredible. What I've read from reviews is that Tom Hanks is the biggest issue in that movie. 100%. Mark, if you had to pick from one of these five, who would you pick? I'd go to Turo, man. That guy's filmography is fantastic. I agree. Just, and just the fact you guys would be able to talk about, like, the way those conversations would be able to branch off, talking about, like, the Coen brothers and talking about, like, working with Scorsese and even some of, like, um, like Mr. Deeds or even, like, just talking about, like, how did he sh- end up, like, on a Transformers movie? It's just, you know what I mean? I think the conversation is there. Oh, that's true. I forgot about I just, that. I, I know there's gonna, that's going to be a lot of interesting takes on that episode. And he played um, Carmine Falcone in the most recent Batman, the Matt Reeves Batman, too. Oh, and of course, yeah. And I'm looking at this thing. Apparently, Severance is like an amazing show, and he's in that. I've heard incredible things. I know. I keep seeing reviews. I got to watch it at some point. This does look really interesting, The Night Of. Yeah, it's a, it's a limited series, and it was uh, produced by James Gandolfini. And uh, the first episode is remarkable. The rest of it's good, but the first episode's fantastic. Well, Mark doesn't decide, you know, we don't decide, Warren doesn't decide, the wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. All right, well, as we kind of reach the end of this thing, I want to uh, say, Mark, I know um, David had to roll, but we appreciate having you, man. It was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed your time. Absolutely, dude. Yeah, thanks for jumping on with us, you guys. Oh, thank you, man. So much for having us on. So this is your chance to plug the show. Any wise words from our audience? It's your floor. Oh, absolutely. So anyways, uh, to find our episode, go to Cinema Flavor on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Anchor. Uh, we just uh, did a review on Lightyear, and then we're actually doing a review on the Black Phone coming up this week. Um, yeah, and also, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, interact with me or David. Uh, we're always down to talk and hang out with anybody. If you guys have group chats or uh, discords, we'd love to be a part of it. And if you guys are always looking for guests on shows, we're always open. Appreciate it, man. If you ever need somebody, just holler at us. And if we're available, we'll send someone your way. Yeah, no question. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure, man. No, thank you guys. All right. Well, as we wrap things up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Chaz Palmentary? Do we? Did you just grab my ass? Sir, from where I'm standing, that's a physical impossibility. I know your tricks, Dewey. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? 
want a milkshake, you know what to do. March and move, 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 move. Oh, if you want a milkshake, you know what to do. March and move, move, 